If you could please be just making your way uh, back to your seats. Uh, And as you do so, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Uh, We're going to be starting at at verse 41. Uh, Just a this is a, a, an oversight on my, my part, so I apologize. Normally, we have the Scripture printed uh, in the bulletin. It, it should be there uh, in subsequent weeks, but that was an oversight on my part. So uh, hopefully, if you don't have a Bible, take that out. Uh, we're we're going to be um, referring to it or, or a Bible app, whatever that, that works. Um, Angela is going to be reading for us the sermon text. I'll also take this opportunity uh, to, to make a brief plug um, Angela is the director of our, our nursery care here at All Saints, which as a, a family, as God's family, that's probably goes without saying, that's a really important part uh, of caring for our family. So, um, you know, grateful for her, her week in, week out service, but also um, Angela has been searching for, so something to pray about. Also, file away in the, in the back of your mind if you know somebody um, to come to do weekly, probably associated with another church, so they can still worship at another church and then come here to, to work and fill in for nursery care, who's, who's qualified uh, for that and interested in that um, weekly position here. So just be thinking about that, praying over that. That would be a great assistance to have as we had somebody and then the time shift uh, we lost that person. So uh, be considering that. So um, Genesis 27, as Angela will read for us. Thanks. Genesis 27:41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. And stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of these women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother.
Thanks so much, Angela. Uh, If you would just join me in uh, praying before we go uh, into this text. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, you are faithful to us. You see so far beyond our vision, and you are constantly working for our good. Uh, That you have good, great, wonderful plans for us in Christ that often involve suffering, that often involve hardship, but are always for our good. Uh, to make us more like you, to build us into your image. We thank you for the ways you're doing that uh, with us as a church. You're doing that with each one of us individually. Or as you encourage us uh, with, with seeing more of the vision, extending our vision, extending our hearts, um, to, to want to step forward in faith into, into what you have in front of us, uh, to be leading us and for us to be joyfully and expectantly following. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we are uh, in a series where we've been looking through, going through uh, Jacob's life. Uh, We took a little bit of pause from this, but uh, the the last two sermons in this series took us through the the kind of infamous deception scene where uh, Jacob disguises himself. He, He puts on this whole garb and and costume essentially to try to take the form of his older brother Esau to trick Isaac who had intended desire to give this blessing to Esau and and Jacob gets it instead. And so now we come this week uh, to really the fallout uh, from uh, everything that just happened. And uh, in short um, synopsis, Jacob has to be sent off. He has to be sent away as a result because uh, his home environment has turned positively hostile. It's it's a hostile environment now. And as I I thought through uh, Jacob's situation, I thought through uh, some of the the things here that are forcing his response, uh, it reminded me of a Simpsons episode. Uh, Now, I am very aware... Uh, This is now the second Simpsons episode I am referencing, uh, and I have not yet referenced some perhaps more uh, conventional uh, sources. In fact, I had this conversation a little while ago, somebody from this church, uh, was saying, um, you know, (laughs) we we talked for a while about background and so forth, and you you know how you can really get some some immediate street cred with this church? I just reference Lewis or Tolkien, right? Just like, you, you know, just like, just, you know, throw, I just, pe- everybody will know, right? And so, uh, if that's something that matters to you, uh, know that, yes, I, I love Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, sometimes it's good for us, like the point of the sermon, to, to leave our comfort zone. Uh, so, a Simpsons episode. Um, so, th- there's this episode that uh, the main character, that's Homer, in case you're unfamiliar, uh, he, he goes on a, a work retreat, and the work retreat happens at a ski resort. And, and while they're there, uh, they're engaged in a, a sort of team-building activity, and, uh, and Homer uh, gets sort of paired off and then gets stuck. He gets sent into this, this cabin with his boss, Mr. Burns. And while they're there, there's this big avalanche just covers over the entire cabin, and, and there they are. They're stuck in this tiny one-room cabin, just the two of them, with nothing to do. 
and, and what happens uh, very quickly uh, is that the, the two of them cooped up, they start going crazy. And each one of them starts imagining that the other one is plotting to kill them, and, and they end up try, fighting and trying to kill each other. And it's this, this dynamic is a little bit of what is happening here for Jacob. Things are very quickly escalating right, under this, this, time, this one roof, right, this one house that they, Jacob and Esau, are, are in together. And it, it becomes clear that after everything that has just gone down, really probably after things that have built up over a lifetime, Right, of trading punches between uh, these two brothers, and more often than not, Jacob uh, getting the better of his brother Esau, that Esau has taken to comforting himself over the irritation of his younger brother and how much he hates him uh, by he just keeps thinking to himself, it's fine, after dad dies, I'm going to kill him. And that's it, it's just pretty simple. And Rebecca hears this from Esau, and she realizes that this, things have gotten to the level that there is only one thing that is going to diffuse this situation, that, that these two simply can't keep living under the same roof, that there is a sort of daily aggravation going on, even by seeing Jacob, or this building this kind of murderous hatred in Esau. And, and Rebecca sees that if her favorite son, Jacob, is to live... He has got to be sent out. And as we look at this passage, or you take kind of the incident as a whole of what's happening, or Jacob's being sent out, what I want us to think through is how does this relate to Jacob's mission? And then how does this relate to also Jesus' mission? And lastly, how does this relate to our mission? And the main point there for all of us, the main point is that we need to be able to leave our comfort zone to take part in God's blessing. We have got to leave our comfort zone. You need to leave your comfort zone to take part in God's blessing. So I I want to start by breaking down kind of what does this mean? What does this look like in Jacob's life and his mission? Well, there's a lot of sad things happening here for Jacob, like in many incidents uh, in his life. A lot of sad things going on. It's a sad day for Jacob's family here. Uh, It's sad for Esau because uh, Esau's heart is revealed in these verses. Up to this point, I I think it's pretty easy for us to feel a large degree of uh, compassion for Esau, to feel sorry for Esau in all of this, but, but eventually what happens in these verses, we get a peek, we, we get a little bit of a glimpse into the way that Esau's heart has been working all along. And Esau is far from an innocent victim. He, he is not merely some unfortunate outsider who, who's been wronged and deceived and never really given a chance. Now, we see all along that Esau is caught up in the very same game here as Jacob. Right? It's this give and take. It's the each one trying to outdo and, and come out on top of their brother. And, and Esau has the opportunity. He has the opportunity, even now, to take his case to God. 
To go to the Lord, to ask the Lord here for justice. Ask God for compassion. He doesn't do that. God is nowhere in the picture here. Nor does Esau make any attempts to reconcile with his brother Jacob directly. Nor does he make any attempt to go through his parents to redress this wrong or, or to, to bring up what's going on to his parents and say, hey, this is, this is an issue. He doesn't do any of that. Esau decides he is going to take matters into his own hands. And the way that he comforts himself, the way that he is able to sleep at night, is by saying, yeah, that's fine. Jacob tricked me out of my birthright. He tricked me out of my blessing. But we'll see. We'll see how much good that does, Jacob, when it comes to time with just the two of us, and we're alone. Might is going to make right. I am going to fix this. And this should call to mind for us, I think, a number of other examples in the Bible um, of how other people responded to jealousy and envy as they got consumed by those things. Or you can think about Joseph's brothers, and how they responded here. You can think about uh, Jesus and the religious leaders around him. Or you can think about Paul and his colleagues. There comes a point in all of these situations where envy and jealousy rises to this level where, where the enemies just say, hey, that's fine. That's fine. You enjoy your blessing. You enjoy your favor and, uh, and all of these promises that are supposed to come. But, but we'll see. Because none of that's going to do you any good. None of that is going to amount to anything because I am going to stop it. I am going to put an end to you. That's that's the line of thinking in all these cases. And of course, what is missed in every one of those cases is that when God is planning something, when God is the one who is bringing favor and bringing grace, that any attempts that people have to stop that, end up only advancing God's cause. Now, of course, this is a very sad day for Rebecca. And we talked about this earlier, but it's clear that for all of Rebecca's planning, all of Rebecca's scheming, which is, is pretty masterful what she is able to pull off here, as far as orchestrating this whole thing where, where Jacob steals this blessing and then she, she works out this other plan where Jacob is going to get away safely. But, but for all of that, she hasn't really calculated correctly. And you can see that even in her plan right now, it is very doubtful that Rebecca would have ever set out on this plan if she had known it was going to cost her ever seeing her son again. Because you can hear, even in this plan, she is underestimating. She is underestimating Esau. And more importantly, she is underestimating the gravity of her own sin. She is thinking to herself, hey, this is just going to blow over. It's, just, it's not that big of a deal. Esau, I know Esau, he's a bit of a hothead. You know, and once we give this some time, uh, some, some things pass, he's going to cool down, and, and he, he's going to get distracted with other things, and this is all going to go away. And it never does. And there never comes this time where Rebecca sends for Jacob to come back, like she was planning for that to happen. And, and for Isaac, 
you know, this is a sad day for Isaac. Isaac is still being deceived. He's still being manipulated here. And he's having to send away his son very far away from him. But, but Isaac also may be the only one in this family who is starting to see the hand of God in all of this. Isaac blesses Jacob again. This is chapter 28, verse 1. And he knows very well who it is this time. And, and you'll notice that as he sends Jacob off, apparently Isaac is finally kind of putting the pieces together. He's finally seeing that it is Jacob through whom God is going to work about his purpose. That God is going to bless this family. That God is going to bless the whole world through this family. Take a look at verse 4, what Isaac says in verse 4. He says to Jacob, May God give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Uh, Isaac is catching this glimpse here that through everything that is going on, right through Esau's murderous hatred, through Rebekah's deceptive manipulation, through Isaac's patriarchal authoritative will of command, through Jacob's grasping and twisting, through all of those things, God, God is working His plan. His purposes to bless this family and to bless the world. Now, the person this is hardest for, of course, is Jacob. Doubt that Jacob probably didn't anticipate that his brother's reaction was going to be so severe. Jacob's about 40 years old at this time. Uh, so, so he's been up to these tricks for a long time. Right? And Jacob was probably thinking, like Rebecca, okay, this is just one more thing, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow over. It's going to slide by. Right? And here now instead, Jacob is having to be sent away. He's sent away from his family. He's sent away from his home. He's sent away from the only place that he has ever known. And he is being told where he has to live and whom he has to marry. And he is being sent out with nothing. Now, in order for us to understand some of the strangeness right, of Jacob's arranged marriage here with his cousin, and also to understand the degree of difficulty, the degree of hardship of what Jacob is experiencing... We have to understand more of the concept of family within ancient Near Eastern culture. Okay, so at this time of history, family, family was everything. There was no such thing as like nation states like we have today. There weren't even really, for the most part, kingdoms or empires. And if you happened to be part of one, it probably wasn't doing you much practical good. So everything in life, your social security, your safety net, your, um, your work, your employment, your work relationships, your, your social networks, your physical source of protection, all of that, all of that was your family. Your family was everything 
Your family was your kingdom and your tribe. Right? So that's why Jacob is being sent out here to marry someone who has a shared value system. Right? Who would have kind of a shared political alliance here. And this is also why the sending out is so difficult. So difficult for Jacob. Because he is leaving behind everything that he knows. He is going completely outside of his comfort zone. But as Jacob is doing this, he is doing this ultimately to inherit and to take part in God's blessing. And what is God's blessing? What what is the mission that Jacob is being sent out for? It's in verse 3. It says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company, a company of peoples. Alright, so the condensed version of this is Jacob is to be the instrument of of God expanding his blessing more and more. So it starts reaching wider and wider and wider. And this is the pattern that I want us to know. This is the pattern that I want us to see that God always works in. This is the pattern that God operates in for Jacob. God operates in this pattern for the, throughout the history of Israel. God operates in this pattern in the life and work of Jesus, and God operates in this pattern for us today. And that is that God sends people outside of their comfort zone in order to take part in the multiplying of his blessing to more and more people. Take a moment here and shift, shift your thinking to Jesus. Right? What the life of Jesus was, what the mission of Jesus was, how he came to earth, what his mission on earth was. Ultimately, Jesus' mission was to fulfill this promise that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, that God would make them fruitful and multiply his people and bless the world through the line of Jacob. Jesus is the answer to that blessing. But Jesus as well, in order to fulfill this blessing, has to leave his comfort zone. I mean, you talk about leaving your comfort zone. Jesus left his glory, his honor, his security, his home with the Father in heaven. Why? To come to earth. Or to take on humanity. He takes on our weakness and our limitations and our frailty. All as a part of God's plan to expand and multiply his blessings to the world. So just like Jacob, Jesus is being sent out from his home into the world in order to inherit and to expand God's blessings. And for Jesus, it goes a step further than this, because as Jesus is sent into this diminished sphere, into our world of of limitation and dependency, even there, Jesus isn't even received by the people and by the family that he came to save, the Jewish nation. He's rejected by them. Why? 
What is God doing in this? Well, it's so that His blessing will expand and multiply. John 12, 32, this is what Jesus says. He says, when He is lifted up, meaning on the cross, He will draw all people, all people to Himself. It's interesting, though, in the life of Jesus, how much of Jesus' work and how much of His mission on earth was to be rejected by His own people, to be thrust out from His own home. He's not received by His hometown. He's not received by the Jewish leaders. He's not honored by the Jewish authorities. In fact, they're the ones who insist on His arrest and His crucifixion. And in the meantime, it's the outsiders. It's the tax collectors. It's the prostitutes. It's the Gentiles. It's the Romans. It's the sick. It's the poor. These are the people that just come flocking. They come flooding into Jesus, seeking Him, finding life. Jesus explains that that this is what's happening when the Pharisees are arguing with Him and rejecting Him. He says, the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. So, So far from being a failure... His mission being a failure because the established religious authorities haven't recognized Jesus? This is actually the grounds of Jesus' mission being a success because God's purposes have always been to expand and multiply His blessing, to to draw in all peoples, to draw in all nations, like we see the fruit of today in, in Christianity throughout the world. And the people who claim the Christian faith in all parts of the world. And you can also look at this pattern in Paul. Right? Paul, whose life really in so many ways mirrors the life of Christ. You may remember Paul, who is the eminent missionary to the Gentiles. But Paul was brought up and trained and educated right, within the most prestigious, the most elite circles of Judaism. And yet, it is as Paul leaves this comfort zone, as he leaves behind the the familiar vernacular and history and culture of his Jewish people that he was so steeped in, in order to interact with people who have completely different customs, who know nothing, who probably care nothing about Judaism. And it's in these contexts that Paul is used mightily, mightily by God. He sees incredible life transformation among the Gentiles. And what Paul sees throughout this is that he is this instrument for the incredible exponential expanding of God's blessing to the nations. It's like he writes in Romans 9 that those who were not my people, I will call my people. And we've got to take time, though, to notice that in this process, right, for Paul, just like for Jesus, just like for Jacob, this is a very difficult, a very uncomfortable process. Now, Paul laments the fact several times that his own people, by and large, are missing out on the blessing of Jesus that is right in front of them. 
And yet at the same time, every time Paul never misses, every time he leaves his comfort zone behind, right? he leaves the Jews for the Gentiles, he never misses the fact that he is part of God's intended design from eternity. That God always intended for his blessing to be expanding and multiplying. So, so let's wrap up, let's finish by thinking about, well, what, okay, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as a church? What is our mission? Our mission is the same as Jacob. Among other things, it is to leave our comfort zone in order to be part of God's blessing. Now, for some of you, just being here today may be leaving your comfort zone. Just, Just being in a church, sitting in a church, or considering the claims of Christianity, maybe outside of your comfort zone. And, and if that's the case, we're really glad that you are here. And we hope that you see and experience the benefits of being part of God's people. Right, but for many of you here today, leaving your comfort zone is going to look like something very different. Now, before you start getting your guard up, right, and uh, start getting uncomfortable, all the things you think I'm saying, let me make very clear what I am not saying. Right, let me make very explicit what, what I'm not trying to communicate. I, I am not saying that Christian circles or Christian friends are bad. Right? I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't engage in you know, Christian camps or Christian fellowships or Christian Bible studies or Christian schools or Christian ministries or read Christian books. I'm not even saying that you should avoid the Christian ministry, although maybe you should think seriously about that. Uh, but I, I hope it's obvious like all of those things can be really, really good things, okay? And, and on the other side, I'm also not saying that you need, to, you need to go out and start evangelizing or start passing out tracts or you need to go out and become a missionary. I'm not saying that. What I'm wanting to warn us against right, is a certain inwardness. Right? There can be an inward focus where, where we start crumbling on ourselves. We, we, can, we can get to a point where we decide that we want to shut the doors Right? And let's focus on just becoming the perfect community. We're going to become the perfect community. And, and as we do that, people are going to notice just how awesome we are. And they're going to start pounding on the doors trying to get in. And let me just say that it, it never works that way. It never actually works that way. Right? What actually tends to happen is a situation very much like Jacob and Esau where as we keep an insular focus, our troubles, our disagreements, our hurts become magnified and become distorted. And so what what happens instead of being united and being attractive to others, it, it brings a spirit of division and envy and competition, which needless to say is not too attractive. Because it's a situation just like Homer and his boss. We can get to this place where we just stew in a tiny little cabin until we get cabin fever. 
Right? And we become convinced that the very small circle of people around us is out to kill us, and the only way that we're going to stop that is if we kill them first. <laughs> That's what I want to warn against. And to be very clear as well, I'm not saying that any of us is there. I'm saying that that is the end. Right? That is the end destination of what happens when I decide that I don't need to leave my comfort zone. I, just, I want to stay right here in my comfort zone. That comfort zone gets narrower and narrower and narrower till, till I am the only one left inside of it. Now, to understand the flip side of this, what is God calling us to? What is God... What does God want for us? What does it mean for us to step outside of our comfort zone to be part of God's blessing? I think this is pretty simple. Now, you can just look at All Saints' mission statement as, as it already is. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, To equip and deploy followers of Christ for the benefit of family, community, and global transformation. All right, that's the mission statement, all right? To, to equip and deploy followers of Christ for the benefit of family, community, and global transformation. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that uh, this is what we're aiming for. Through our worship service, through our ministries, we want to be equipping and deploying followers of Christ. But why? What is that for? Why do we want to be built up in our relationship with Christ? Well, it's for the benefit of our families, our community, and our world. Right? So that God will be expanding and multiplying His blessings, His transformative blessings through us and through everyone that we come in contact with. I, I hope that you can begin getting a vision for, for how Amazing that that privilege is. And, and also, I think it's worth saying that it's not as if we have the, the choice of saying, well, what I want to do is I, I want to just sit here and I, I want to get really filled up. I want to get filled up with God's blessing and, and His fear, and then I'm going to go out and then I'll bless people. It's, it's not going to work like that. <laughs> the, the, those two always have to go side by side. That as you spread... As you multiply God's blessing to others, you continue to be blessed by God in that process. You can never separate those two things. It's not how God works. Your enjoyment of God is going to increase as you spread His benefits and His blessings to other people. If on the other, of the other side, you, you try to just keep it locked up and you say, okay, I, I just, I want to get more and more of God, right? I, I, I want to grow more and more and just, I want to get to know God better and better for myself. And that doesn't ever impact, right? That doesn't ever, ever touch or intersect with your work or your relationships, right? Then, then what's going to happen is you are going to shrivel up and you're going to wither, you're not actually going to experience what it is to be part of God's blessing. It's as we leave our comfort zone and step out in faith and in confidence in Jesus that we experience what it is to be more and more a part of his blessing. And it's his blessing for the world. 
God's blessing for the entire world. I mean, that, that's just, it's something that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. All Saints Presbyterian, this is a great church. This is a wonderful church. All Saints Presbyterian is not the world. Praise God for that. <laughs> Praise God that there are other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches that, that we can encourage and, and we can partner with. The Treasure Valley is not the world. America is not the world. Praise God for that. For as many blessings as this country enjoys, for, for all of the strengths of this country, the blessing of God's kingdom was way, way, way before America came on the scene and will continue long after America is gone. God's vision for expanding and multiplying His, His, His vision, His blessing for the world is so much bigger. It's, just, it's so much bigger than we can conceive. This is really the chief point. This is what I want to close with. All right, G Jesus tells us that all authority, all authority in heaven and earth are, is his. And he tells us as his disciples, we get to inherit the world. It's not just like a little sliver of land that was promised to Jacob and, and his descendants. We, we get the world. And, and what this means is that we need to widen our vision. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, uh, is Paul's instructions to the Corinthians, uh, Corinthian believers, 2 Corinthians 6.13. He says, you also widen your hearts. Widen your hearts. Now, at the same time, we have to be realistic. Right? We need to be realistic about this. Our lives are going to exist for the vast majority of us in, in relatively small circles. Okay? Our family our work, our neighbors, okay? Those are the areas where we should be pouring the majority of our energies into. However, our vision and our perspective need to be global and needs to be eternal. What does that mean? That means a number of things. I'll just give you one, one way that this is fleshed out, and I'll finish with this. It means that as we encounter things that are outside of our comfort zone, okay, whether that's people or ideas or experiences, events in this world, right, we need to greet those kinds of things with a growth mindset, a growth mentality, right, a disposition that says, I want to be part of God's multiplying blessing." I want to learn more. I want to see more of the, the incredible expansiveness of God's plan. And so that means that this idea, right, this person, this conversation, this company, this event, is an opportunity for God's blessing to expand. And I can be a part of that. God gives me the opportunity to be a part of that. So would you pray with me that God would be leading us out of our comfort zone so that right, we experience more, we get more of his blessing. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you lead ahead of us. And, and we know that we can see you. We, we see that you are faithful. We don't know most of the time where we're going. We don't know what tomorrow will look like in many ways. And yet, Lord, you, you are faithful and you do know. And, and you want us always to be growing. You want us never to be content. You want us never to be satisfied with how much we know of you or how much we see of you or how, how wide and deep is our knowledge and the experience of, of your grace. So I, I pray that you would give us that sort of godly discontent with just wanting to see more, wanting to experience truly more of, of who you are and what you are doing in us. Uh, and in the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.